Well, good morning, everybody. And again, welcome to Calvary Baptist Church, to our church family, to any of you that are visitors or invited guests, any of you that maybe have been friends of someone and you were on Facebook or YouTube or somewhere today and you stumbled across our feed and you were looking in a warm welcome to you as uh, we are in that first day where the uh, clocks sprung forward and so we lost an hour of sleep but the days, praise God, are longer. But also I want to say thank you to our music team Thankful to hear drums and a bass guitar along with voices and everything else. And thank you that God has gifted our church congregation the way he has, that we can sing and be led in beautiful music. So that's a wonderful thing. And again, I never want to take it for granted. This is our fifth Sunday in some sort of lockdown again. The last four weeks we were at alert level five. This is the first Sunday where we've come down a level so we can have 10 people gathered here together. And uh, for that, we praise God. We praise God that yesterday there were no new cases and there were more recoveries. We praise God that we can have doctors, scientists, epidemiologists, virologists, all those that are participating and helping get vaccines ready and all those things. And yes, I say that not, not at all trying to mitigate the fact that we all question. We sometimes wonder if the right way you've been done with everything. That's normal. You're not going to have almost eight billion human beings on a planet and not have some various differences of opinion. However, we all can, as Christians, be grateful and thankful and patient and humble and, dare I say, caring. And I want you to take that idea of caring with you into my message for this morning. So at home, wherever you may be, would you take your Bible and go to John chapter 13 with me this morning? John chapter 13, and I'm going to be reading verses 1 to 11. My passage is 2 to 11. I spent all last Sunday preaching on verse 1, but I want to read these verses, uh, verses 1 to 11. And I want you to think about this. What does it mean to be washed? What does it mean to be washed? By the humble power of Christ. And I would say it's wrapped up in these two words. Jesus cares. And see if you can pick it up in our passage for this morning. So let me read it and then I'm going to pray for us and pray for myself as we get into this this morning. This is the word of God. John chapter 13 and verse 1. John the apostle writes now before the feast of the Passover... When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. I love that verse. I am going to make that one of my verses every day of my life. Now here's our passage. Take note of this. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Don't lose sight of that. Verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that he had wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter and said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, 
But afterward, you will understand. So Peter said to him in verse 8, You shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, Peter, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, then not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. And may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. This is one of my favorite passages. And as I said last week, I have been waiting over 20 years of my pastoral life to preach John chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. So this is not only uh, an exercise of love in the sense of trying to preach to my church family, but it is an absolute privilege and a joy and an honor to listen to God speak to me and allow me to unpack this to myself and to you. But let's ask God to be with us in prayer. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, I thank you for this medium of technology. Lord, in some small respects, this is meant to glorify you, maybe in reminding us of what it means that you are omniscient. For here we are, 10 people down at our church location in Aldershot Street in a city called St. John's, a province named Newfoundland and Labrador in the country of Canada. And yet, simultaneously right now, men and women all across this city, province, country, and even in parts of Africa, South Africa, and other places, people have tuned in and are watching and hearing me preach live from the Word of God. And so, Lord, I give you praise and glory for this technology, especially as we've had to adjust so much in the face of COVID-19, government restrictions, medical advice, masks, physical distancing. Father, so many have been isolated from each other and that has caused its pain. But Lord, may we never forget that this is a virus with all of these controls has seen well over 100 million recorded cases and literally millions of dead. So Lord, as Christians, that should make us cry. It should make us care. And Lord, we also care for those that have been ravaged by isolation, physical abuse, addiction. Father, the terrors of sin and the unimaginable horrific consequences of evil that are in our world. And so Lord, I'm so thankful that we have a passage like John 13 that tells us and reminds us and yells out at us by your living example that you care. And so Lord, whether it's us here at Calvary Baptist whether it's our missionaries like Herb and Janet Hunter in Najna in South Africa or the Churchills, Tim and Christina and their family. Father, we pray for them and that they would know that Jesus cares. Father, for whether it's our government officials, both federally and provincially and in our municipality here in St. John's, I pray that our mayor, our premier and our prime minister would know that Jesus cares. Father, as we have medical doctors and our chief medical doctor, Dr. Fitzgerald, and those that represent the provinces and territories of our nation called Canada, I pray that they would know that Jesus cares. So Lord, I pray now for us, whether we are in living rooms gathered together as families, whether we're alone in a bedroom or seated somewhere with a phone, a tablet, a computer screen, or a television, 
that everyone would know, first and foremost, that Jesus cares. And you care for us so much. You love us so much. You tell us the truth. You don't lie to us. You don't hold things back. And so, Lord, help me to accurately reflect you, not to bore the people with my opinions or my take, but rather, Father, to be gripped by your Holy Spirit and just be overjoyed with the privilege to tell people about Jesus' love and caring. And Lord, may that start with me before it ever goes to anybody else. And Lord, for any that are hurting or in despair, any that are angry or frustrated, any that are afraid, any that are worried or simply searching, any that have been caught up in the affairs of life, whether it's arguing on social media, Father, about vaccines or masks or timing or alert levels, whether those who are just anxious over jobs and finances and taxation and what happens next, Lord, whoever we are, wherever we are, and whatever we are facing, may we be still and know that you are God for the next 30 or so minutes and just know that you care. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning I want to talk to you about this idea that Jesus cares. And so maybe to do that, I want to start with this idea of how do you try and show someone that you care for them? Now, honestly, think about that. We do so many things in life where we just do them, but have you ever asked yourself, how, how do I show people that I care for them? And, and maybe another question would be, how do you know if somebody cares for you? How do you want to be cared for? Like, have you ever thought about that? Again, you do have these thoughts and feelings, but so often we don't think it through. We don't actually take the time to process it. And think of all the relationships that we have in our lives. How do friends care for each other? How do they show that they care for each other? How does a husband care for his wife? How does a wife care for her husband? And then again, like I said last week, all these relationships are expressed in different ways. How about parents? How do parents show that they care for their kids? And that is one of those relationships where, as parents, you know you love your kids, you know you care for your kids, but you often have to wait a really long time before they actually return that understanding of how much you loved and cared for them. How about grandparents? How do you love and care for your children and your grandchildren? And I could go on and on and on, right, right? Could I not say, how does a pastor care for his church? How does a doctor care for his or her patient? How does a lawyer care for their client? Or how does a politician care for their constituency? But I guess riddle me this. Maybe the biggest question I have to ask you is this. How do people normally react when they know they are cared for? Think about that when you're thinking about life. Or maybe I could say it like this, is it easier or harder for you or I to speak into someone's life, especially truth, if they honestly, truly feel and know that you care for them? Truth is, I'm almost 50 years old. I've been a pastor almost half my life. I know that people will listen to a sermon much more if they believe I care for them. I know that I listen to my wife, Debbie, because I believe with all my heart that she loves and cares for me. And I have friends and family who not only listen to me, but desire to hear from me. They ask me my opinion. They want me to speak truth in their life because they honestly believe I care for them. So if that's the emotions that we have, let me reverse it now and ask you, how do you feel or how do you think the world feels 
Or how do you think we and the world tend to react if someone doesn't care that you care? What happens when you're caring for someone, you're loving them, and it doesn't get returned? Or they actually say, you don't love me. I know for any of you that are parents, you've heard those words out of the mouth of your kids at some point. And the crazy thing is you're actually loving them, caring for them, and they accuse you of not loving them. Why? Primarily because you're not giving them their way. But yet you know you love them. And then, how do we react when it seems that not only do people sometimes not react to our care, but seem to reject it or take advantage of it? Or not understand that someone offers them care and love. Well, here we are taking our first steps of John chapters 13 to 17. These are the last teachings. This is the last prayer, recorded prayer. This is the last conversations of Jesus with his disciples. And here we are. Here we are. Jesus is only hours away from the cross. And yet, as I tried to show you last week from John 13, 1, Jesus loved his own that were in the world and he loved them to the end. Yes, Jesus cares. And yes, I've said those two words over and over again. And I am going to continue to say it all sermon long. Because that's the concept that I need to see and remember, that you need to see and remember this day on March of 2021. Jesus cares, though, is not a coffee mug. It's not a t-shirt. It's not a plaque on the wall. It's his example. It's real. Today, you and I, we will learn from John 13, 1 to 11, what happens when we reject the caring heart of Jesus. What happens when we even misunderstand the caring heart of Jesus versus... When we accept and submit and come into relationship with the caring heart of Jesus. My friends, John chapter 13 verses 2 to 11, if you'd looked at it and you listened as I was reading, it's beautifully scandalous. It's tragically horrifying. And it's even a little bit ironically humorous. But ultimately, it is God's sovereign display It shows his humble power. It shows his promised presence. Honestly, it's care personified and exemplified. And it's given to us here. John, under the inspiration, writes this so we'll find hope. Not only to live it out, but to look at it as well. That we will look at it and walk through it in our lives here in March of 2021. Which is why... John puts it where he does. So first of all this morning, if you're taking notes or you're writing the margins of your Bible or whatever you do, I want you to notice in verses 1, but 2 and 3, notice the heart of Christ. I want you to see the heart of Christ. The Apostle John takes you and I, and he wants us to take note of two specific things, really, in verses 1 to 3. And you got to notice this if you want to impact, if you want to be truly impacted by what Jesus is going to do next. Because it seems a bit odd, but first, John goes out of his his way for you and I to know the situation with Judas. He goes out of his way in verse 2. Notice what he says. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. What a random verse. Why put that there? Why would he have it there? You see, 
He's wanting us to see how Satan is already lively at work. Judas has actually arrived at this meal with betrayal already hatched and agreed to. In both Matthew 26 and Mark 14, you will read these verses. Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, what will, we give, what will you give me if I deliver him, Christ, over to you? And they paid him, get this now, 30 pieces of silver. In Jewish history, that was the price of a common slave. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now, it's almost like John wants us to, to see the exact opposite of why he's been writing this gospel all along. And you know I can't do it, right? I can't preach any sermon out of John if I don't remind you of John's purpose. In John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, John has said, I have written this so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. But here it seems he wants you to look at, look at what happens when Judas arrives already saying, I don't believe. I don't believe. You see, if I say to you, Jesus cares, but you don't believe, it's really just two words that you're going to dismiss and maybe even be bitter or antagonistic against. And so John wants you and I to see the difference here. He wants us to see the difference between the spirit of Satan and the spirit of Christ. But secondly, and excuse me, because I'm going to get wrapped up in my emotions on this one, and because I, I think this is the most important thing for you to see from verses 1, 2, and 3, is look at verse 3 again. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand and that he had come from God, was going back to God. Now, what, what do you see when you look at that verse? Besides, sometimes a, little, a verse that's a little hard to read in English. You see, last week, I went out of my way to make the point that Jesus had knowledge of his suffering. He is 12 to 18 hours away from hell on earth. I also showed you last week that he is 18 hours away from all of that, knowing full well about the disciples' weaknesses and even, yes, their sin. And yet, last week, I wanted you to see how much Jesus still loved them. He knows about Judas and his betrayal. He knows about Peter and his weaknesses. He knows about the other ten's weaknesses and sin, their lack of focus and faith of all of them. And yet, he loved them. He cares. So John wants you and I to know, not only did he know what he was going to suffer, not only does he know all of the weaknesses of everyone he's going to love, he also knew about his power and position. He knows what awaits him. He's hours away from going back to heaven, taking his place back on the throne at the right hand of God the Father, back to the glories, back to the adoration, back to the worship of the beast and the four and twenty elders that's described in Revelation chapter 4 and 5, all of creation. God, Jesus, is aware of his godness. In fact, did you ever notice what happened? You see... We often miss this as we come to Easter and Lent and Passion. We see Jesus suffering. We see all of this. But in the midst of this, you get these glimpses of his power. Jesus knows he's hours away from this. Did you, did, I want you to remember this because when Judas later on in John chapter 18... Judas actually does betray Jesus and he brings this little band of soldiers with him and some chief priests and some Pharisees and he kisses Jesus and then Jesus asks the armed guards, whom do you seek? And I love this, listen now, because this is what happens when they said, um, we, we look for Jesus of Nazareth and when Jesus said to them, I am he, 
in John 18, it says, they drew back and fell to the ground. I don't want you to miss this. Jesus is God. He's God in the flesh. When he simply identified himself, they all cowered to the ground. So Peter doesn't get that because he's there. Remember the, the, the story? He draws a sword, slashes off the air of one of the Roman soldiers. Jesus heals it. But then listen to what he says. In Matthew 26, Jesus told him, put your sword back in its place. Why? Because all who live by the sword will perish by the sword. But then he says this, or do you think that I cannot call on my father and he will provide me at once with more than legions of angels? So Jesus is aware of his coming suffering. Jesus is aware of the disciples' betrayal and denial and abandonment. But Jesus is also aware of his power and that he's soon going back to take his rightful place as the second person of the Trinity. And yet he loves and he cares. If I told you this morning that you were the beneficiary of a billion dollar inheritance and tomorrow I would send a car for you to take you to a place where you would get the billion dollars. What would that do to you for the next 24 hours? How would that change your perspective? What would you do? What would you be feeling? See, last week I wanted to know what would you do if you knew that the next 24 hours were going to be the worst hell you had ever faced. But now couple that with what have I said 24 hours now? You were going to experience a freedom and a sense of blessing like you had never known. And yet in between all of that, you know that everyone you love around you is going to turn their back on you or fail you or make promises they can't keep. How would you, how would that not mess with you? Where would your priorities be? What would you do? And see, ultimately, it's just like this. Michael Reeves says, God is dazzling in his holiness and overwhelmingly fascinating, but not simply because of his overpowering might, because knowing the almighty creator as a glorious redeemer enables us to see deeper into the nature and heart of Jesus Christ who cares. You see, ultimately, in verses 1 to 3, John wants you and I to see not only that Jesus cares for you and I, but he wants you to think it through. Jesus has lived for us. He's going to die for us. He will rise from the dead for us. Even now today, in 2021, Jesus intercedes for us. And by the way, he's coming back again for us. And he does all that knowing he would have had to leave heaven for us and what that would cost. He knows we are sinners who are going to struggle with sin, with trying and failing, with being weak and needy with misunderstanding and being misguided and Jesus does this knowing that many will reject him and turn away and he does all this knowing that Satan is going to throw all of his anger and hate and yet he loves and he cares now listen to me for you he does it for you now I want you to ponder that young people middle-aged people older people he cares about your life and your soul, which means he cares about your hurts and your struggles and your fears. 
He cares and loves you despite your past. He lives and loves and cares for you right now in your present. And he loves and cares for you into the future. And you see, young people, Jesus loves you better than your culture does. Jesus loves and cares for you better than your peer group does. He loves and cares for you better than you will love and care for yourself. He loves you and cares for you better than the acceptance by the world. And he loves you beyond beauty. No matter the mixed messages that the world sends to both men and women. He loves you and cares for you better than your talent. He doesn't literally care for you because you're talented or you've got something to offer. He loves and cares for you because you don't. He loves you and cares for you more than fame will ever or achievement or grades or degrees or jobs or money. And for those of you that are married, Jesus loves you better than your spouse ever will. Jesus is also going to love your spouse better than you ever will. And by the way, everybody in a 2021 world, Jesus is better than sex. Jesus is better than anything this world has to offer. And for you that are moms and dads, Jesus loves you more than your kids ever will. And by the way, loves your kids better than you ever will. And that's true for grandparents. Ma, grandma and grandpa, listen, those that are out there in Newfoundland, as we call them, nans and pops. Jesus loves and cares for you better than any family legacy. He loves you and cares for you better than your retirement can offer. Jesus will watch over your family, watch over your investments, and watch over your senior years better than you will. And those of you that are single, or those of you that have experienced the horror and the pain of being widows or widowers, Jesus is the better friend. Jesus is the loving husband, and Jesus is the caring companion. Indeed, Jesus, being fully aware of his suffering for you and I, fully aware of our sin and our inability, our lack of focus, our faulty love and commitments, Jesus, fully aware of his power and destiny, loves us and cares for us. So here's the question. Are you seeing why this is so important? So I've spent so much time driving this point home over and over again. And here's the reason why. Because I know what I'm like. And I talk to you enough throughout the week or enough of you throughout the week to know that we are really good as Christians in 2021 of giving lip service to this. I, almost nobody I've talked to this week or the last couple of weeks, nobody that's in this room with me right now that you can't see that are seated in strategic places around this little auditorium so I look in different locations so it looks more natural for you at home. We all give lip service to the love and care of Jesus. But we actually don't realize that it's the actual heart of Jesus. You see, doing this and knowing this is more than knowing that Jesus cares for you. It's actually believing it and believing it to a point where it actually fuels your life. It empowers you as you deal with your weaknesses and your relationships and the demands and the stresses on your life here in 2021. It gives you hope as you wrestle with your sin. Every one of you has sins you just hate that seem to crop up in your life. Impulsiveness, short-temperedness, impatience. Your ability to be defensive or to deflect or to blame others. This gives you hope to face a world that is against you. It resolves you to see through the lies of the devil and gives you peace whenever you have to suffer. It gives you hope when you are hurt or abandoned or betrayed. And it gives you joy as you look to the future. 
But practically, trusting in Jesus' heart of love and care, are you ready for this, young people, in a Marvel Comics world? This will give you a hero named Jesus. One of my favorite t-shirts, and hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, if anyone wants to buy it for me, I'm an extra large, all right? Is the one where all the Marvel heroes are on, on, on a ledge, and it's like Spider-Man and Superman and everybody there, and then Jesus is there at the end, and he goes, and that's how I saved the world. Now, that's a comic book hero worth having. That's why Paul says to the Ephesians, that you can have your aha moment when knowing that Jesus loves and cares for you moves from the theoretical to the practical. He says in, in, First Thess- or sorry, in Ephesians 5.1, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. And what does that mean? Walk in love. Okay, what? As what? As the Messiah, Jesus, also loved us and gave himself for us a sacrificial fragrant offering to God. And so in verses 4 to 11 of John 13, we've got the greatest symbolic example of Jesus to us of what the cross is. Jesus washing the feet of the disciples is actually a visual illustration of what it means to love and to care. It's stunningly humble. It's it's selfless love. And what's more, it's an actual symbol of what it means to be saved. It's what, it, it's what it looks like to be cleansed and washed from our sin into a perfect and purity that makes it possible for us to not only stand before a holy God, but to be in a relationship with God, to actually have God as Father. And if, if that's true, and you now will move from the theory, okay, Jesus cares, Jesus loves and cares for you, that's the heart of Christ, but now in verses 4 to 11. Let's see the example of Christ. Let's look at the example of Christ. In our world today, in a 2021 world, we've got this uh, saying, right? Actions speak louder than words. It's one of our favorite things. Now, if that statement was ever going to be true, it's true of Jesus. Jesus does for his disciples here in our passage an act of love and humility, but more than that, it's actually loving humiliation. Do you remember back in John chapter 3? Disciples come to John the Baptist and they tell him, you know, there's one named Jesus coming and who is he and who are you? And and when Jesus comes to him to be baptized, John answered those um, searchers or those inquirers with these words, I baptize with water, but among you stands one, one you do not know, even he who comes after me. Now this is the statement. The straps of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Now, this is why I always tell you, Calvary Baptist, to read your Bible systematically and thoroughly. And this is why we preach through books. Do you see what John the Apostle is doing? He is giving you this little precursor. John the Baptist says, Jesus, I'm not even worthy to undo his sandals. (laughs) Now, in John chapter 13, Jesus is going to get on his hands and knees and wash the feet of his disciples, which includes a man who's already made arrangements to betray him, a guy who's going to run his mouth and deny him, 
James and John, who's writing this, are going to fall asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane just a couple of hours from now. Every disciple is going to run away. And this is what he does. They've come to the place of their last supper with Jesus. Let me try and draw the picture for you. Because they're in this upper room. They're having their last Passover. And normally, it's the responsibility of the host to have a servant to greet the invited guests as they come in. They meet them there. They inform them of the order of the meal. And by the way, where they will sit. And this is why everything is planned out in a Jewish Passover meal. They offer to take any outer garments, and then they wash the feet of the guests. And the reason is, the roads aren't paved, and since almost everybody wore sandals, or even worse, many who didn't have a lot of money didn't even wear sandals. They walked around barefoot. Can you imagine what that was like? So their feet are not only dirty, but I love it. One commentator said, unpleasant. That's a very politically correct way of saying they were yucky. They probably smelled had wounds and scars and calluses and all of this stuff. And here they were in their first century world. When they would eat together, they would recline on pillows, some on the right hand, many on the left. And then your feet are poked out, which means in a big table, your head was next to somebody's feet and your feet was next to somebody's head. And so you can imagine now what that was like. You're sitting at a meal eating food And somebody's feet are inches from your mouth. And then, as you're eating, you realize that your feet are inches from some. In a modern world, I I know Jennifer's here. She led us in music. And Jennifer's been so great to always have me over every year for my birthday. She knows I love her Katagraten, and so she makes it every year on my birthday. And she doesn't know this, but one year we went, and I got there, and I took off my boots, and everybody was coming in. And I realized when I took off my boot, there was my big toe sticking out of one of my socks. And instantly, I was paranoid. Instantly, I went off somewhere, so no one could find me, and I was trying to talk that sock in such a way, and the whole night for me was just a little bit off, because I was wondering where that one big toe was. Now, it's a clean toe, and it was a well-manicured toe, but the last thing you want, even in our world, is for to be at a meal with all your friends, and there's your big toe sticking out of your socks. So can you imagine what it would have been like if I had filthy, dirty, stinky, mucky feet, and then I stick them up on Jennifer's coffee table in the room full of all the guests and go, yes, let's all just chill and have a chat. Do you see? This is what was going on. This is the context, the emotions. And so because Jesus had sent them in to secure this room, the water's there, the basin's there, the towel's there, but there's no servant there. So one by one, they all arrive at the meal. Peter walks by. James walks by. John, who's writing this, walks by. Judah, James the Zealot, Simon the Zealot, Matthew the tax collector, Judas, one by one. They come in. No one washes their feet and nobody offers. So let me paint the picture. They're all sat down now, filthy footed. They're having their meal. And Jesus, who is actually the guest of honor, Jesus, who is the rabbi, the teacher, Jesus, the son of God, Jesus, the one who had called them and taught them. You might have given the disciples some slack for not washing each other's feet. But how? How could not one of them get up and say, Jesus, let me wash your feet? 
And with all this going on, Jesus takes on himself the position considered too menial even for a Jewish slave. Even the Jews for this meal said it was wrong for you to have one of your Jewish slaves wash the feet of your guests. They actually would get somebody from another nation to do it. So here's John the Baptist starting out this gospel saying, I'm not unworthy to untie Jesus' shoes. And now Jesus is going to wash the feet of his disciples. Can you imagine how still the room got? There's no clanking. Everybody stops chewing. All the side conversations stop. And here's Jesus taking the basin, taking off his garments, wrapping a towel around himself, washing each set of feet one at a time. F.W. Krumacher says, think of the Holy One who came down from heaven and thus engaged with sinners. The majestic being whom angels adore, stars bow down before, abasing himself to the occupation of less than a menial servant. By this one act, Jesus challenges our understanding of the glory of God, doesn't he? Later that very evening, he would tell his disciples, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And you got to understand this. The God that Jesus reveals is tender. He's compassionate. He's servant-hearted. This is the example that he gives us because we need it. So that begs us the question. In the passage like this in 2021 with COVID and social media and all these lockdowns and all the tension and all the pressure, it does beg the question, how are Christians supposed to display God to the world? Doesn't it? Because there are a few approaches we see today, right? Number one, we should tell the world all about what they're doing wrong. Denounce all the wicked ways of the world. We live in a world where they kill the unborn. We live in a world where sexuality is blurred and undefined and has become God. We live in a world that denies scripture, mocks God. His name is a curse word or the name of a punchline. And so, yes, the Bible does tell us to speak truth to the lies of the world, but Is that how we're actually supposed to display and example Christ? Another option would be, do we display God by winning arguments with unbelievers? Are we supposed to get on social media and argue with all the non-vaxxers? Argue with those that support pastors that are doing and in favor of civil disobedience? Poke fun at and yell at our government because a bunch of lost people don't know how to manage well? Hello. And yes, it's true. Jesus did debate false and religious teachers, although I would challenge you to look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because we seldom see them arguing with common people. But what about this? What about if John chapter 13 verses 1 to 11 is supposed to teach us the heart of Christ and the example of Christ because here is Christ who knows he's God and he takes up the place of the least 
of even slaves to wash the feet of men who would betray him and deny him and abandon him. And don't miss that it's John who's writing this. John who was called the son of thunder. John who once wanted to pray lightning down from heaven on people that he didn't think were a part of his tribe. John who once had his mother go and proposition Jesus so that he could sit on the right or left hand of Jesus in heaven. John is the one saying, you know what? The any authentic display of God has got to be characterized by humility and tenderness and sacrificial love. And Calvary, this is why for 2021, I want our theme verses to be Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, but particularly not a 3 and 4. This is why Paul told the Philippians, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. By the way, which includes arguing to be right for Jesus. And if you want to know what that means, go read 1 Corinthians 13. Because it doesn't matter if you can speak with the tongues of men and angels. It doesn't matter if you can undo all prophecy. It doesn't matter how right you feel you are and have not love. Then you are nothing or you're just noise in the wind. He says, don't do anything from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Let each one of you look not only to your own interests, but the interests of others. We've got a business meeting tomorrow night. We're still walking through the level four, and not everybody agrees with Dr. Fitzgerald, and maybe we all agree that we should have more liberties, and we're wondering about the consistencies of it all. But how about living out these verses? And have this mind among yourselves, because this is the mind that was in Christ Jesus. Because when we do this, then and only then will the world see us ministering with humble, tender love to the stinky feet of each other's lives. The places where there is pain and ugliness and failure and need. And then and only then will the Spirit of God help us in the midst of our lives, our marriages, our families, our church, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our classrooms, will then they see the love of Jesus. And to do this, Jesus, just as Jesus took off his garments, at Calvary, maybe we've got to take off our pride, take off our envy, and everything else that hinders us from taking up the basin to wash the feet of others. So that's the heart of Jesus. That's the example of Jesus. And just for a couple of minutes as I clue up, look at the response to Jesus. See, John goes out of his way to tell us about two people, Judas and Peter. Judas, we've just realized, he represents rejection. It's curious that John points this out here. Again, as I said earlier, he seems to be contrasting the spirit of Judas with the spirit displayed by Jesus. Judas was moved by Satan. Jesus is moved by the loving will of God. The pride of Judas is contrasted with the humility of Jesus. And don't you remember? That makes sense. Every time we read about Judas, he's complaining. He doesn't like it when Mary used expensive perfume to wipe Jesus' feet. So what do you think it was like when he sees his master get up and start cleaning feet he had just made a bargain to sell Jesus out and I'm sure this was the straw that broke the camel's back when Jesus got up and started to actually clean the feet of the disciples I'm sure Judas snapped and said no no that cannot be my savior I won't wash feet we don't even make Jewish slaves wash feet how can I worship and bow down and trust my life to a dude that washes these feet of all of these rejects 
So you can reject Jesus. Jesus, Judas only thought about his self-interest, whereas Jesus was expanding himself selflessly. Or, and what I think most of the audience watching with me today, you are in this category. We misunderstand Jesus. I actually think this is a really big issue in our world today. I don't think Christians are reading the Bible enough. I don't think we're in community enough. I don't think we pray enough. And this, thus we misunderstand. So we're misunderstanding COVID-19. We're misunderstanding what it means to be a church. We're misunderstanding what it means to be in the world, but not of it. We misunderstand how awkward and uneasy grace and love should make us all feel. But it gets less if you actually experience it. You see, so John writing this and says, Peter, the rest of us are quiet, but Peter actually says what everybody's thinking. So he goes to Peter and he starts to wash Peter's feet. And look at verse 6. Lord, do you wash my feet? This is basically English vernacular for, no, 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 Lord. Thank you, you, Lord, Lord. You don't have to do this. I love Jesus, but I don't like the way Jesus works sometimes. This was Peter's M.O. And by the way, does this sound familiar? I love Jesus. I just don't like the way he works all the time. Right? We love Jesus' love. We love his power. We love his miracles. We love his promises. We love heaven. We love the idea of him being with us and for us and all that. But then then Jesus does stuff that makes us confused and uncomfortable. But now if you write something down, I love this about Peter. Peter is both uncomfortable but drawn. And look at what Jesus says in verse 7. What I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Jesus referring to his death and resurrection. I love this. Jesus basically says, Peter, it's true that you don't understand now, but you got to trust me. you got to believe my word and my actions. Accept my power and my sovereignty and my suffering. And then you will understand it in the end. I wonder if the writer who said, further along, will know all about it. Further along, will understand why. Cheer up, my brother. Cheer in the sunshine. We'll understand it all by and by. Because if you actually work through your misunderstanding, it leads to relationship with Jesus. Peter says something so well-meaningly stupid in verse 8 that it makes me smile. Because he goes from, Lord, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus says, hey, Peter, listen, you don't understand this now, but you will. And then he says, oh, and by the way, if I don't wash your feet, then you don't share with this with me. And then Peter freaks out and says, well, then not my feet, hands, head. He basically says, here, Lord, I can see Peter almost starting to strip down and going, all right, Lord, full sponge bath. And Jesus goes, "Uh, Peter, calm down, big fella. I love this because... Richard Phillips says, it's a good rule in general that when we find ourselves arguing with or rebuking the word of the Lord, that we're getting ourselves in trouble. Peter was shocked when Jesus showed him how wrong his attitude was. And I love this. And then when Jesus says, listen, the one who has has been washed has been washed for eternity. And you don't no longer, you don't need your hands washed. You don't need your head washed. He says, you only need your feet washed. What's he saying? Number one, he's showing uh, Peter the saving power of the gospel. And watch this now, okay? If you want something, this blew my mind. This is why I love being a pastor. This is why I love studying a passage. And I got to do this, okay? Watch how this parallels. Here's what Jesus does. 
In Matthew chapter 20, Jesus came and said, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Follow this. Jesus in our passage, he gets up from his seat that he was the guest of honor of to go take on the position of a slave. Jesus, according to Philippians 2, got up and left the glories of heaven to go and take upon him the form of a servant, right? Notice, he laid aside his outer garments. This is what Paul was describing. Though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality a thing to be grasped. He laid aside his glory. Next, he takes a towel and he ties it around his waist. Peter said that he made himself nothing, taking on the form of a slave, being born in the likeness of men. Then Jesus poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. Hours from now, he's going to pour out his blood for the washing of human sin by atonement. Then he completed the enacted parable by rising again and going back and sitting back at the table, which is Jesus' resurrection, his ascension to glory, John 13, 3, where he goes back and he sits down because the work of the cross is finished. That's why Hebrews says, after making purification for sin, he sits down at the right hand of the majesty on high. This is why you got to study your Bible. It's all here. It's the gospel. It's the saving power of the gospel. But then Jesus tells Peter, I'm going to need to keep washing your feet, Pete. Because he wants him to see the saving power of the gospel. Then he wants him to see the keeping power of the gospel. He says, Peter, I've saved you already. You don't need to get saved over and over. But you know what? You are going to struggle with sin. And as truly as Christ was made sin for us, so we have been made the righteousness of Christ. The one who was bathed does not need to wash except for his feet. And guys, listen, right now, men and women, there's not one of you that doesn't realize, right? There's not a single Christian who walks in the world who doesn't feel polluted by sin. Every one of you know this. We fall into sin. We know our minds are polluted by sin. We are brought into confusion and grief and sometimes even despair. I love this. John Calvin says that the term duty feet, dirty feet is metaphorically applied to all the passions and cares by which we are brought into contact with the world. And so this is the power of this passage. So Calvary, what are we going to do with this? I've wanted to ask you, have you been washed by the power of the caring humility and love of Christ? I've wanted you to see the heart of Christ. I've wanted you to see the example of Christ. Now I want to ask you, are you going to respond to him? So as we clue up, we are called to example the heart of Jesus. Ready? Now watch this. To each other. In the next few weeks, we're going to get to the end of John 13, where Jesus tells these same disciples, a new commandment I leave with you, that you love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples by your love one for the other. You see, here's the thing. Often when you hear a sermon like this, the pastor comes to the end and says, how can you not respond? You must love like this. Love so amazing, so divine. Demands our love, my life, my all. And that's true. Your Bible is filled with passages like come and die. Take up your cross. Leave and come and follow me. But here is what I want you to see. We find our power and motivation to love like this 
Because Jesus loves us like this. And even though you'll not do it perfectly, and even though you're going to be hesitant because sometimes it's going to cost you, and even though you're going to be afraid because you're going to fail, and others will fail, with, for, uh, fail you, and you're going to be taken advantage of, which you will, Jesus knows you are God's child. And you need to know that God loves you. Know that Jesus lives and reigns for you. Know that the Holy Spirit of God indwells you and empowers you and guides you and even speaks to God for you. So you and I can sacrifice. We can put others ahead of ourselves. We can risk all for Jesus. And why? Because Jesus has already done it for you. And then we, need to call, we are called to example the heart of Jesus to the world. And it's going to seem obvious in the coming weeks, but Jesus reminds us that how we respond to Jesus' love and his life and his death and his service and his intercession actually draws the world to see that we are actually his. But here's the thing, lastly. We are also going to respond to the heart and example of Jesus. And just like Judas and Peter, you'll either reject or accept And contrary to our progressive church today that wants to say there are the nuns and and the gons and the seekers and the sensitive, there's really, the Bible only gives us two classes of people, those who trust Jesus and those who don't. And the question is, who are you? Who are you? And so let us learn the lesson. Paul Tripp wrote this poem but I think goes so well as I end. Everyone makes sacrifices. Some for physical beauty and some for body health. Some for athletic victory and others for career advancement. Still some for relational unity and some for sound investments. Some for physical dwelling and some for the hope of fame. Some sacrifice for parental love, some for spiritual growth and even for environmental health. Some sacrifice for political power and some for a noble cause. Tragically, some sacrifice for a dark addiction while others for the cause of peace. Some to make a point and some to expose an evil. Some to meet a need. Some sacrifice by offering money and some to settle a score. Some to extend a hand. But every day and every one makes a sacrifice. No one can avoid it. Life itself requires it. Good calls you to it, and evil even demands it. Oh, and sometimes you do it willingly, and sometimes we're resistant. Sometimes we regret it, and sometimes we do it with great joy. Sometimes we do it with deep sorrow. Sometimes it's in the light, and sometimes it's in the darkest night. Sometimes it's private and sometimes it's public. The young and the old, men and women, girls and boys of every language, every ethnicity from every place around the globe, from every time and place in history, but from every place and with all these people, in all those epics of time with innumerable sacrifices. There is only one man who had sacrifice as his solitary purpose. One man whose sacrifice would meet everyone's need. One man who paid for what he did not do so that others would get what they did not earn. One man only who was qualified 
and one man who was and is. The God-man, son of God and son of man. There was only one man who would live a righteous life. Only one who would die an acceptable death. Only one man who would satisfy God's requirement. Only one man who would make not only that sacrifice, but would be that sacrifice. There was only one man who would be the Lamb of God. Only one man whose sacrifice would change everything. Sin defeated. Life given. Destiny secured. God and man reconciled once for all. It is finished. Billions of sacrifices but only one sacrifice for life now And for all eternity, will you trust him? Jesus cares that much. Let's pray. Father God, I'm tired and overwhelmed. And I'm energized and humbled by your amazing love. I pray that if there's any man or woman out there that's searching for you, looking for you, been confused by you, even angered by you, that they would trust you right now. And Lord, I pray that people will know that Jesus loves them and he cares. And so, Lord, as our music team leads us in one last song, my Jesus, I love thee. May we not just love the melody, but watch the words. And may Christians respond to the love of Christ. And may those who are hurting and looking know the love of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.